Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Ebenezer family and friends. Uh, This past week, I came across an article in Christianity Today that caught my attention. It was entitled, The Eight People Americans Trust More Than Their Local Pastor. (laughs) According to a recent Gallup poll, uh, nurses for the 19th straight year are the people most trusted by Americans, while clergy have fallen to a record low with just two out of every five Americans believing that clergy are honest and have high ethical standards. The article went on to say that the clergy level of trust has been dropping steadily since 1986 due to many leadership failures and scandals. You know, things like moral failings of prominent evangelical leaders, or the sexual abuse scandal in the Catholic Church, or in our country here, the mistreatment of indigenous community in the residential schools. Only 50% of Christians surveyed believe their faith leaders have high ethical standards. And that number dropped in half to 25% for the rest of society. This is a concerning and sobering statistic. And it is certainly not a reflection of the kind of leaders God describes in His Word. But even beyond the walls of the church, there is a leadership crisis in this world. Many, many people have, been, have had very negative views of their leaders in all sectors. There are high levels of skepticism, criticism, and distrust of all those who lead which we've seen around the world during this last global pandemic. And many, many more people have been hurt by self-serving leaders who have abused or misused their power. In today's passage of Scripture, Peter is going to address leaders, specifically those in spiritual leadership who, who he calls elders. But the principles found in this passage are relevant for, for any leader anywhere. Peter is going to remind us of the kind of leader that God blesses and that others respond to, and the kind of leader that that flourishes in in their leadership and helps others flourish underneath them. And what we're going to discover today is that God has called people to be spiritual leaders in the church, and He's entrusted them with, with His most precious treasure, His children, the people. And He wants those leaders to lead His people like a shepherd leads his flock. Well, since our text is short this morning, let's read it together and then we'll go back and we'll work our way through it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4 to 4, uh, says this, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now this is an important text for all leaders, but especially for leaders in the church. God has given the church leaders for the good of each person and for the good of the entire body of Christ to help build it up, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4. And even though we all know that no leader is perfect, leadership matters. It matters at every level and across every sector. 
especially during times of trial like we're facing right now. Good leadership honors God and it blesses the people underneath it, whereas bad leadership dishonors God and often leaves a path of destruction beneath it. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the majority of today's passage is an exhortation for pastors and elders and church leaders who have been given the task of looking after the spirituality of the people in the church. However, there are many transferable principles for leaders in general, including parents who lead in their homes. Well, let's look a little bit closer at the text. It says, uh, to the elders among you. In the Bible, the term elder is used in four different ways. It describes people who are advanced in age. In our day, they would have gray hair and maybe qualify for a senior's discount at a restaurant. Uh, it also, second, in the ancient Near East, the term elder was used as a title for members of, a local, of local governments and councils. And that was across the board in the Middle East, but also uh, to the Jewish people. And so, for example, the Jewish Sanhedrin were called elders. We also see the term of elders used in the book of Revelations, where uh, 24 elders were seated on the thrones, on thrones around the throne of God in heaven. But in this passage, the term elder refers to spiritually mature men who are given the, the responsibility to lead the early church. The word elder is the Greek word presbyteros, from which we get Presbyterian, and it literally means being advanced in age. But this word is also used interchangeably with two other words in the scriptures that are also in this passage. One is the Greek word poimen, which is translated pastor or shepherd, and it literally means to feed and tend a herd of sheep. And the second word is episkopos, which is translated as overseer or bishop, which means to give attention to or to look at or oversee and take care of the church. You see, an overseer is one who pastors the church like a shepherd herds his flock. It was the practice of Paul and the apostles to appoint elders in every city and every church where they help birth a church. And the appointment to this special office was done carefully by the apostles and thoughtfully and, and prayerfully. Elders were proven people of proven character who demonstrated maturity and understanding in faith and who led others by the example of their own life. Specifically, we see the requirements of elders listed in detail in both Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. And Paul begins these sections by saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer or an elder, he desires a noble task. In other words, Paul, uh, Paul is encouraging uh, people to strive to be a leader inside the church. And then he lists the qualities of those people. He says they should be above reproach. They should be faithful within their marriage. They should be temperate and self-controlled and respectable and hospitable. They should be people who are able to teach. They, they should not be people given to drunkenness and they should not be violent but instead gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. They must know how to manage their, their family well. They shouldn't be a recent convert because that might make them proud and so humility is a key aspect of their character. And the final thing they say is that these people, these elders, overseers, should have a good reputation with the world around them, the outsiders. Uh, elders are, are spiritually mature men with proven life and proven character and, pr and a proven example. Now there's a second thing I, I want you to notice in this initial verse. And that is that Peter's addressing elders, plural, 
not elder singular. Now, one of the reasons Peter says elders is because he is writing to many scattered congregations who were meeting in as small groups in houses. But he's also using the plural version of this because within each church, several, several elders were appointed so that the work of the ministry could be shared. And this sharing of responsibility is nothing new. Uh, we, we see it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, for example, we see this pattern of shared leadership in the story of Jethro and Moses in Exodus chapter 18. And in the New Testament, well, the plurality of elders is the only model that we actually see. In fact, in the New Testament, whenever someone refers to the leadership of the church, it's always referring to a plurality of elders and not just a single person. Now, you may wonder why I'm spending so much time on one letter at the end of a word, but the plurality of elders is something that matters to the church, and it's something that should matter to you too. You see, a plurality of elders uh, creates balance among the leadership. No single pastor has all the spiritual gifts. Although when we pulled our staff team, we all felt that Pastor Kel came the closest. Um, every pastor elder has, has different strengths and passions and experiences that they bring to the table. Another reason for the plurality of elders is it helps protect leaders from burnout or becoming proud in their ministry. You see, no single pastor or elder can do all the work of ministry by themselves. We need others to help. I just read a statistic this last week that in the USA, 1,700 pastors leave the ministry every month largely due to burnout. An incredible statistic. And the plurality of elders helps um, those in leadership to stay humble. A third thing is the plurality of elders enables more people to be cared for. The churches Peter was writing to were not mega churches. They were likely smaller house churches that could be managed by a few leaders. But the bigger the church grows, the more elders are needed to shepherd the people. And one of the reasons why we're working hard to equip leaders at Ebenezer is so that more people can share in the leadership of discipling and shepherding a segment of the Ebenezer flock or family. And it's why we're going to strongly be encouraging people to become part of a life group this fall because that's where community and care is going to happen best and first. Fourth, a plurality of elders provides accountability in our lives and teaching. One of the jobs of elders is to teach sound doctrine and refute false doctrine. Now, I don't know if you know this, but at Ebenezer, we have implemented a speaking team. And each Tuesday afternoon, we get together to talk through and receive input on upcoming messages. This gives us greater insight into the passage, but it also protects us from any doctrinal errors because we care about the word that we teach. Another reason for the plurality of elders is it brings victory and safety through wisdom and discernment and decision-making. Proverbs 11:14 says this, for, uh, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. At Ebenezer, this concept has many layers. We have a lead team on the staff. We have our staff team that we consult. We have a board that we meet with regularly. And we try and consult with our church family because we know that that helps in our decision making. Another reason for the plurality of elders is that it brings stability and continuity to the church and community. Transitions always will happen in the church at every level. Board members finish their terms. Uh, pastors leave. Ministry leaders change. But if there's a strong core of elders who share in the work of the ministry, these transitions always go more smoothly with less disruption. Now, although we don't use elder terminology at Ebenezer, we do function with a plurality of elders here. Our pastoral staff team functions as a team of elders. 
Our church board also carries the, the responsibility of spiritual leadership or eldership over the church. As well, although they may not have an official title of pastor or board member, there are many people who have proven themselves as spiritually mature and, re and respected leaders within this family, and they share the load of shepherding. They do this by leading life groups or leading ministries, and we often invite them to come and pray for people who are sick. Now, although this passage is directed to a specific role in the church, it's not an exclusive passage for pastors or church board members. It's a word to everyone who is mature in their faith and is in a position of leadership or influence over others. That could be, of course, pastors and, and board members or life group leaders, but it also could be people like a youth sponsor, and your flock is the youth under your care. Or it could be a CNC or women's or men's ministry leader, and your flock is the people that you minister to. Or it might be a Sunday school teacher, and your flock is the children in your class. Or it could be you as a parent in home, and your flock is your family and especially your children. So here's my question to you. Um, God calls us or wants us to aspire to be these shepherds. So who has God called you to be a shepherd to? And who is the flock under your care? And what kind of shepherd are you being to them? Well, Peter continues in verse 2 with the elder's uh, responsibility or job description. And this is what he says. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Now, the first thing that we see in this text is that elders are given the responsibility to shepherd God's flock. Now, for those familiar with the Bible, you'll know that the metaphor of shepherding is used often throughout the Bible. And it's especially significant because it is a metaphor that is used to describe the relationship of God to his people and the leader's relationship uh, with the people. Let me give you a few quick examples of this. Uh, psalm 23, a great psalm. It's a psalm of David reflecting on God as his shepherd. And he begins the psalm by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Psalm 81 talks about God's people uh, and he refers to them as, as the flock. Isaiah 40:11, God is the, talks about God being the true shepherd over Israel. And it's this wonderful words where he says, He tends to his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs into his arms and he carries them close to his heart. What, what a precious description of a shepherd. Then we see uh, some of the main leaders. That's two, in fact, two of the most significant leaders of Israel were Moses and David. And they were former shepherds who, who cared for real sheep in a field. The kings of Israel were called the shepherds of, of God's people. And in Jeremiah chapter 23 and Exodus chapter 34, uh, there are strong rebukes about those who are supposed to shepherd but have neglected their responsibilities and scattered the flock and driven them away. Strong words for those shepherds. The prophets Micah and Jeremiah prophesied that a new shepherd is going to come, an ultimate shepherd. And of course, that promise was fulfilled in Jesus who proclaimed in John chapter 10 that I am the good shepherd, the one who's willing to lay down my life for, for my sheep. And I'm the good shepherd that knows my sheep and my sheep know me. Matthew 9, 35, an amazing passage where Jesus saw the crowds. And if you recall what he said, he said, he had compassion on them. And why? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into the harvest field. And that was, of course, referring to more shepherds. 
or people to pastor and lead the flock. And then John 21, where Peter, the author of this letter, is commanded by Jesus to take, to take care of the sheep. So all that to say is, is, that, is that the audience that Peter is writing to clearly understood the role of shepherd of the shepherd to a sheep. They clearly understood that shepherding was a metaphor of how God cared for his people and how the leaders over Israel were to care for the people of God. And they also clearly understood um, that the elders and apostles appointed were now in charge, were being charged with the responsibility of shepherding and caring for them. Now, what does it mean to be a shepherd and watch over God's flock? Uh, well, it means a few things. First, let, let's consider the, the task or the duty or the work of the shepherd. First Peter 5.2 speaks about this. The term shepherd um, automatically painted a picture uh, for those in the Middle Eastern culture. They knew what that, the work of the shepherd involved. They knew that it involved um, knowing his sheep. You see, by the very nature of his job, a shepherd would spend a lot of time with his sheep and he would get to know them and they would get to know him. And like a mother with her baby, he would be able to sense when something was, was wrong or out of sorts with his herd. And over time, the sheep would learn to trust their shepherd. The same is true of those who are elders and shepherds and overseers in the church. We need to know the flock under our care so we can respond when something is not right and so that they can trust our leadership. Now, as one of the shepherds of Ebenezer, I'm accountable for the people of Ebenezer in a way that I, that's different than how I'm, how I'm accountable for the greater community of Saskatoon. We as, as elders or shepherds are, are called first to shepherd the flock that's among us. Now obviously as a church grows, it's a huge challenge to really know everyone and everything about the flock under our care. And even if we do know, it's a challenge to provide the immediate and proper care that people often need. And that's why we emphasize the need for people to connect with others in a life group. The shepherds Peter is addressing are not leaders over large churches. They're leaders in a house church over, over a few. The Ebenezer staff team and board uh, should share in the care of our church family. But if we're the only ones caring for the church family, it's not going to go well for us at all. A second task of the, the shepherd that they knew of was, was to feed the sheep. And this, this responsibility of fee, feeding the flock is really one of the primary, if not the primary, task of shepherding. The major part of a shepherd's job was to find food and water for his flock so that they could not only survive but also grow and reproduce. In the same way, uh, one of the primary tasks of spiritual shepherding is feeding the flock under our care by preaching and teaching the Word of God. In Acts chapter 6, we see this model for us by Peter and the apostles. They understood that their primary role as leaders and shepherds of the flock needed to be prayer and preaching, and not all the other responsibilities that were, were, amongst, were part of a growing community. And so, so they actually pulled themselves out of doing good things to do the most important tasks of teaching and preaching and praying. And just like the apostles, we also understand that only God's Word brings life, and only God's Word brings transformation, and only God's Word lasts forever. Which is why, by the way, our preferred method of teaching is an inductive study through a book of the Bible like we're doing right now through 1 Peter. 
And when we go through the Bible, it allows God's Word to set the agenda for our lives, not, not us to set the agenda. It helps us look at, to the authority and power of God's Word to find truth and to teach us how to live, not going to the internet or not uh, shifting to the to society's trends. Another task of the shepherd is to lead the sheep. Leading a flock of sheep is different than leading a herd of livestock. When you, when you move a herd of cattle, you drive them, you, you push them from behind and you force them to go where you want them to go. Leading a flock of sheep is totally different. Sheep you lead from the front. A shepherd leads the way and the sheep follow because they know and they trust their shepherd. Leading in the local church is the same. Leaders lead by showing others the way to go. They lead by modeling what it means to walk with God. They seek God in prayer so that their decisions are discerning and filled with God's wisdom. Good shepherds equip others to share in the work and responsibility of doing this leading. But most of all, good shepherds set the example for others to follow. Then a fourth task of the shepherd is to protect the sheep. A shepherd is always watching out for danger. He watches out for predators who want to attack an unsuspecting sheepherd. He, he, he makes sure the food and water they ingest are safe and healthy for them to eat. In the same way, a spiritual shepherd is always looking out for the flock under their care. They are watching for spiritual attacks from the outside because they know, as the Bible says, that the devil is on the prowl and he's looking for someone to devour. A good spiritual shepherd watches what the flock is eating and protects them from false teaching and, and bad theology. A good shepherd stands as a watchman over his congregation and has eyes and ears open so that he can spot the danger that's in front of them. Now that's not all a spiritual leader does, but these are four responsibilities or tasks that every spiritual leader must, must do. However, the role of spiritual shepherding is more than a task to accomplish or a job to do. In God's economy, shepherding is more than doing the right thing. It's about being the right person. Let's look at the, the, the heart of the shepherd in the next couple of verses, verses 2 and 3. Uh, because it says that, that, that who, uh, who a shepherd is um, matters deeply to God and it matters to a watching world. In verses uh, 2 and 3, Peter addresses the heart of the shepherd and the character qualities that are indispensable for those who want to be a good shepherd over God's people. In fact, the absence of these qualities almost always bring destruction. They will devastate and discourage church members. They will damage a church's credibility and testimony in the world. And they'll often ruin and destroy lives. Now, Peter names three of what I think are the big four temptations in leadership. Uh, the first three are, are, are motives, money, power, and the one he doesn't mention is sex. This is what it says in, in verse 2, the first one. It says, um, be shepherds of God's flock that, that are under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. You see, first, spiritual shepherds are to serve willingly and not out of compulsion or obligation. I remember one time this, this young CNC person came up to me in my job. I just had begun as, as the, the lead pastor. I'm going to tell you his name because it'll make some sense. His name was Trent Summer. 
and and he came up to me and he just said, "Job or joy?" <laughs> and and uh, I didn't really like that question, especially on that day, because if I recall, the job of pastoring was feeling more like a job than a joy on that day. Now I'd be lying if I told you that every moment of being your pastor has been an absolute joy. I'd also be lying if I said that there are some days that that uh, our role as pastors don't feel feel more like a job than a joy or an obligation and responsibility than a calling. But even though there are those moments or seasons, the opportunity and, and call to be a shepherd of God's people should be a delight and, and not a duty. It should be a joy in our lives and not a job. It should be something that we, we gladly do, not grudgingly do. Now, if I were to ask you the same question that Trent asked me regarding your ministry or service for God, how would you answer? Job or joy? Grudging obligation or joyful willingness? Are you serving in leadership because you have to or because someone is forcing you to or because you want to? You know, I meet with our church partner pastors um, every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. by Zoom and uh, I've invited Will Demetro, who is our pastoral intern, to join us. And the first weekend, first week he joined us, I had each of the pastors share their story of God's call in their life. It was humbling and inspiring to hear how these men are serving the Lord with such joy. Now, are their lives busy? Well, yes, yes, they are. Uh, is ministry tiring and demanding? Absolutely. Are there challenges uh, uh, with people in discouraging moments in their ministry? Without a doubt. And yet, what we heard over and over again was what a great privilege it was to serve God in their ministry. You see, God longs for his spiritual shepherds to serve others joyfully out of love for God and love for people. And if you've lost your joy or you've lost joy or your lost joy has been a catalyst of you pulling out God's mission to the world, it's time for God to do a new work in your heart. It's time for you to to pray and to ask God to to renew your love for the people, to renew your calling for ministry, to to restore the joy to you. And when you do that, that's going to bring you new life and give you new opportunities in ministry. And by the way, your sheep always know whether you love them or not or whether it's an obligation. That leads me to a second attitude of the heart. Verse 2, it says, again, continuing on, not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve. The second spiritual uh, shepherd's second spiritual shepherd should serve eagerly and not for personal profit or shameful gain. The issue here is, is simply the issue of greed. Faithful shepherds are motivated by their clear and profound calling and, and by their genuine and deep love for their flock and not by a paycheck. Now this verse is not saying that pastors shouldn't be compensate, compensated because the scripture does teach about that as well. But what it is saying is that elders are not to serve for the purpose of procuring money and getting rich. They are not to use their gifting or their influence to pad their own pockets. Now, we probably all heard a few stories of spiritual leaders whose greed has been exposed. But the majority, if not all the people I know in ministry, uh, are not in it for the money. And there are many, many people who serve the Lord uh, in this church and other churches without any compensation at all. So here's a question for you to think about. Are you serving in leadership because of the money you can acquire 
or because of the of the your enthusiasm for ministry or another way i can ask this is are you withholding your service for god because it doesn't pay you anything and you can use your time to make more, more money or pursue your own interests the third thing we see is in verse 3 it says not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock so third spiritual leaders should live lives worthy of imitation and not abuse their power or, or influence. Okay, the issue here is, is power. And spiritual leaders and shepherds should never abuse or misuse their power. They are not to be known for con- being controlling or autocratic or authoritative or domineering or demanding. Rather, God's spiritual shepherds should be humble examples that model the example of Christ and demonstrate the truth of what they teach in their life. Christian leadership is not lording over others. Rather, it's about humbly submitting to Jesus as your Lord and inviting others to follow your lead and your example. You know, our most effective teaching is never the words that we say. It's it's the example that we live with our lives. And, And, by the way, Uh, this generation is watching and our kids are watching and this generation values authenticity and realness over polish. They they value character over charisma. They they value modeling over telling. So who you are as leader matters as much or more uh, matters as much or more than what you do. Be the type of leader that brings glory to God and leads others to God as well. So what we looked at so far is is the work of the shepherd, uh, the heart of the shepherd, and finally we're going to look at the reward of the shepherd. It's found in verse chapter 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I have had the privilege of being one of the shepherds of this church for 32 years. And, and overall, I have to say it's been an absolute joy, and thank you for that. But being a shepherd leader at any level, as a paid pastor or as a volunteer in ministry, has its challenges. It, it's actually easy to feel discouraged in, at certain seasons of life, even when you're part of a great church like Ebenezer. I have a lot of friends that are in ministry, and I'm privy to, to their, their conversations, and I... I know some of their challenges and discouragements. And let me just, if I could just have a moment of, of honesty, that um, just to say that the pastors, although we have responsibilities, um, that pastors and shepherds are real people too. And we often feel the weight and responsibility of leadership. We recognize and feel the challenge of the spiritual battle that's raging among us and in us in the world. And for the most part, believe it or not, we're aware all too aware of our own inadequacies and our own shortcomings. And we are often our own worst critics. Shepherds of God's flock uh, can lose heart when the church doesn't grow the way we dreamed it would, or when people leave the church, or when they criticize or attack us or others. And COVID has been especially challenging. A recent study by Barna revealed that 29% of pastors have seriously thought about leaving the ministry this past year. And not just leaving their church, but leaving the ministry altogether. So, if you're a shepherd over some of God's flock, whether that's as a pastor of a church, 
as a leader of a ministry, as a sponsor of our youth, as a Sunday school teacher. I know it can be challenging at times, but don't lose heart. Honor your calling. Love and care for the flock entrusted to you. Serve the Lord with gladness. Continue to be a good example of what it means to walk faithfully with the Lord. Because when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. To be a good shepherd of God's flock and to remain faithful to your calling, you need to have an eternal perspective and motivation. Because God's promise to you is that He's watching, that He sees your faithfulness, that He knows your motives, and that He will reward you for being a good shepherd one day by giving you that unfading crowd of glory. I want to conclude my sermon today by reading these verses from the message. And this is what it says. I have a special concern for you, church leaders. I know what it's like to be a leader in on Christ's suffering as well as the coming glory. Here's my concern, that you care for God's flock with all the diligence of a shepherd, not because you have to, but because you want to please God. Not calculating what you can get out of it, but acting spontaneously. Not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them the way. Then when God, who is the best shepherd of all, comes out in the open with his rule, he'll see that you're doing what is right and he'll commend you lavishly. Let me pray. God, thank you for our church family and thank you for um, the shepherds that you have have, um, called out from amongst us. And God, I know that we are in this unique position where all of us are sheep, but some of us are shepherds. And I pray that, that those of us who are shepherds will shepherd well, that we'll look at this challenge today and we'll say that we need to shepherd the flock under our care well. And God, so give us the wisdom and the strength to be able to do that. Give us the courage and encourage us and give us the strength that we need for our days. And God, as we do this, may your church flourish. May your church be built up and may we see your kingdom expanded. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.